Every time I hear that thing crackling back there, I, I get word for you in the back corner there that's going gonna, gonna to fall on you now. Uh, wonderful singing and, and praising the Lord this morning, and we have the privilege to continue to do that as we uh, look again at, at his word. Uh, I, I just, I love that about our, our church body here and, and our Sunday mornings. Um, we really, uh, I don't know who was it mentioned it this morning, but um, in the call to worship, we sing the word, we pray the word, we preach the word, we hear the word. Um, th- this, is, this is what we are to do in this, in this world, and not because we are worshipers of the Bible, but we are worshipers of the God who gave us his word and put it in the pages of scripture for us. And by his word, we come to know him and we come to love him. And by his word, we also come to know ourselves. And we actually come to see that we are not as glorious and loving and gracious and good and righteous as we often think we are. Uh, But we really are in, in desperate need of a savior uh, we're in need of forgiveness. We're in need of mercy. We're in need of being reconciled to a holy God because before this holy God, we actually have no right to stand before him. Before a holy God, we don't belong in his presence. And yet here we are. We are, we are in God's presence. We are with God's people. We are with the Holy Spirit present with us here. He is promised to be with us. And God, the Holy Spirit, is here. And he is here to encourage us and to strengthen us and to build us up and to remind us of how gracious and good our Savior is. And um, there really is no better place for us to be on the Lord's Day than to be in the house of God and with God's people and reading and hearing from him through his word. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the Gospel of John in John chapter 12. This morning, we will uh, be looking at verses 27 to 50, which uh, we have said a few weeks ago, we were entering into the end of the Lord's public ministry, and this really is the closing closing act, if you will, of Jesus's public ministry. Uh, We saw the act begin with Jesus being honored as the Lamb of God when he's anointed by Mary, Uh, Jesus being publicly honored as the King of Kings when he rides triumphantly on a colt into Jerusalem, and then we see him being honored as the Savior of the world when uh, not just Jews but Gentiles came, Greeks came, and they were seeking Jesus. And so it was that arrival of the Greeks And the Gentiles coming and saying, we want to see Jesus, that after these many years of Jesus' public ministry, he realizes and triggers in his mind that the appointed hour had come. The appointed hour had come. The hour being referred to is the hour which encompassed Jesus' suffering on the cross, This is where the wrath of God would be born in our place. When Jesus goes to the cross, the hour encompassed his death, where Jesus would die on the cross and make atonement for our sins by his blood. And the hour encompassed his resurrection and exaltation, 
where Jesus then raises again from the dead, and by his resurrection, we know that when we place our faith in his atoning work, in his sin-bearing sacrifice, when we place our faith in what Christ has done, his resurrection and exaltation is like the exclamation point on his work that says, it is, it's all finished and completed. He rose victoriously, and those who place their faith in him will then rise victoriously with him again. This is the good news of the gospel. And so this public ministry is coming to a close, and as we go into the next chapters, 13 to 17, we're going to see where in his public ministry, Jesus is being rightly proclaimed as the Son of God, as the light of the world. He is God incarnate, and he is manifesting himself as the Messiah. This is who I am. These are my signs. These are all the things that point to me. I'm the Messiah. Believe in me. Trust in me. And then we get to chapter 13 to 17, and you're going to see that the emphasis in John's gospel really changes, not, not away from Christ, but the public ministry turns into a very private ministry. And this is where I think we are going to be very blessed as a church body because we're going to very intimately see how Jesus deals with his disciples now in a private matter. It becomes a very much a, an, an in-house discipleship in chapters 13 to 17. And so I'm really looking forward to those chapters because as much as I've been blessed to see Jesus exalted as the Messiah and the Son of God, when you get to chapter 13 to 17, you really see just how tender he is to us and how much he really loves us and cares for us. And so that will be um, the next several chapters. But for now, in this final act of Jesus's public ministry, uh, we see Jesus, um, the, the God the Father, declaring now publicly uh, the truth regarding God the Son. We'll see that in 27 to 36. Uh, once again, we see the unbelief of the people. So in spite of everything they had seen, they are still in unbelief, 37 to 43. And then we see Jesus' final declaration regarding himself in verses 44 to 50. So God the Father declares truth regarding the Son, 27 to 36. The unbelief of the people, 37 to 43 and Jesus' final declaration regarding himself in 44 to 50. Let us read God's word, John chapter 12, verse 27, and then we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. Hear the word of the Lord. probably turn to John. I'm, I'm in, I was in Luke. I was wondering why it's not matching. Okay. Whoops. John chapter 12. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard, heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to the, judge the world but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Such is the reading of God's word. Hear it, beloved. Let it reside in your hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony regarding your son, that even publicly you spoke regarding your son. You sent him into the world that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. You sent him into a world that rejected him and did not seek to honor him as God or to 
commit their lives to him and to repent of their sin, but would rather have their own glory and serve themselves. Father, as we read your word, we understand that we have once been among those people. And yet you have shown us grace to give us the truth and to give us eyes to see what we once could not see because of the darkness and the blindness of our own hearts. Now, as we open to look at your word in a bit more detail, O oh God, we pray that you would grace us with the presence of your spirit. That, Holy Spirit, you would be dwelling among us and encouraging each and every one of us who belong to you that we might see Jesus Christ and know him more fully. Help us, O oh Spirit, we pray, to hear your word and apply it to our lives in such a way that we leave this place not indifferent to your word, but transformed by it. There is no man who can bring about that transformation. There is no eloquence that can be spoken by man that can change the hearts of sinful men. We need your presence and your work among us here in this place that Christ might be recognized for who he is. We pray that you would be with your word as you have promised that it would go forth with full power and full authority, accompanied by your sovereign hand, O Spirit, we pray. Strengthen us and build us up and convict us. Help us, Lord, to be a people that are set apart from the world as we study your word. I pray that you would help me to proclaim your truth faithfully that you would guard me from error, that you would guard me from pride, that you would guard me from seeking to speak my own will and my own authority. Enable me, O oh God, I pray, to have an understanding of your word so that your people and my own soul might be strengthened. We ask for your grace and for your presence. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. These verses begin with a very, a very compelling statement, but a, a very insightful statement and really a very sobering one. In fact, as I was studying this passage this week, I found it really hard to even get past the very first verses of verse 27 because of what it tells us about our Lord You'll see that when the hour had come, Jesus says, this is Jesus saying this, now is my soul troubled. Jesus' soul is troubled. When you read that, it might seem a little striking to us that at the hour of his ultimate glorification, our Lord would say, my soul is troubled. That tells us a lot about our Lord. It tells us a lot about what John has been 
telling us about Jesus. We have a tendency to read the Gospels and to hear about Jesus, and we have a tendency, and it's correct, to make the emphasis on the fact that Jesus is God of very God. Jesus is the eternal creator. Jesus is the one who spoke the world into existence, and Jesus is God incarnate. But what we sometimes fail to remember is that God came and was what? Incarnate. That God was fully God, but yet he was fully man. As fully man as you and I are, Jesus was in this world. That is absolutely mind-blowing. It is not the normal message that you hear from the world. It is not the religions of the world. It is something entirely different and, and out of the ordinary and extraordinary that God would take on humanity in the way that you and I take on humanity. Just think about that for a moment. Everything you and I do in the world, we walk, we talk, we eat, we shower, we bathe, we do whatever we do in the world, God came and did everything that we did. And so he who is very man, as man, he is going to die and he is going to suffer. And so that experience of going to the cross is just as real for Jesus as it is for you and I. The idea in Jesus' mind as he's going to the cross and the hour had arrived is just as real for him as it is for you and I. And you and I know that one day we too will die, right? None of us is going to live forever in this world. Our physical bodies will face a death. Our physical bodies will deteriorate. We will go back into the dust from once we were made, and there's nothing you and I can do about it. No amount of medication, no medicine, no, no money, nothing in the world, no government, no politics, nothing in the world will be able to deliver you from a certain death. And we are anxious about that. I don't think anyone wants to die and physically wants to suffer. Nobody wants to go through that, and so we are anxious about that. And the idea that Jesus was troubled reminds us that though he is God, he is God incarnate who, the scripture says, was acquainted with the grief of our sin. It was not his, but he was acquainted with it. And the scripture says that he was a man who was not free from sorrow. But Jesus, being fully man, he knows grief. He knows sorrow. Jesus is like you and me. He's not a divine robot. I don't know if there's any Star Trek fans in here. 
I'm not, but my sister-in-law is. Jesus is not Spock. He's not a man without emotion, without feeling, without, without an anxiousness. Though it is a sanctified, he still has those feelings. And so Christ himself is clothed with our flesh, but he's also clothed with our feelings. Feelings that he voluntarily submitted himself to. He feared, he feared because he chose to fear. Does that make sense? He experienced what he experienced because he chose to experience that in himself. A real experience of humanity. Yet we know that he was different than us in that, unlike us, all of his feelings were regulated by his righteousness. They were all used in obedience to the righteousness of God. And so don't let it trouble you as you read that Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. It's okay. Jesus is God, but he's also man. And the trouble here that Jesus is experiencing, the word is actually a very strong verb. It signifies revulsion or horror or anxiety, even agitation. So the thought of dying and agonizing death, let alone death on a, a cross, is surely an experience that any man would ponder with a sense of trouble. The path to glory was not an easy one for Jesus, but it was necessary for our salvation that Jesus should go through the valley of the shadow of death for us. It was the only way to make atonement for our sin it was the only way to deal and appease the wrath and curse of God in our place. He could not have done it without taking upon himself our full humanity. So the death is troubling Jesus. But what's troubling Jesus most is that in that death that Jesus is about to die, Jesus is experiencing something, he will experience something that, by God's grace, we who are in Christ will never experience. And he is experiencing something on the cross that it will take an eternal judgment in hell, fire, and damnation, and man will st still never be able to endure it all. He is in going to endure in our place God's eternal wrath, God's judgment on sin. That right there is dreadful. And I think that is the most trouble that Jesus feels in his soul. Not that he doesn't want to, not that he's not willing to, but the thought of enduring an eternal wrath of God is extremely weighty on Jesus's mind. And that should remind us, beloved, that Jesus, God incarnate in his humanity, 
He endured in our place what we could not endure. And it should be a comfort to us that he knows then our weakness and our struggle as we seek to follow him courageously, even unto our own death. But I think it is even a reminder to us of this. And this this really hit me this week. It's a reminder to, should be a reminder to us of the enormity and heinousness of your sin. I don't think we think about what Jesus paid and what he did for us enough when he takes God's wrath upon himself. Sometimes we look at salvation and we we just think about God's grace and we just think about what we've received and we, we almost take it for granted that Jesus went to the cross and took God's wrath upon himself. And when we think about God and we think about the gospel that way, what inevitably ends up happening in our life is when it comes to our own sin, we think lightly of it. When it comes to our own wickedness and our own desires, we tend to blow it off. We tend to think that it doesn't really matter because Jesus loves us. He covers it all, and it doesn't matter what I do because God is a loving and a forgiving God, and he knows I'm weak, and he knows that I struggle with these things, and you know what? It's okay, and then we go on sinning, and we go on doing what we're doing, and I think we tend to do that because we haven't pondered enough what we really deserved, which is an eternal judgment and wrath of God. If we would think rightly about the fact that enduring God's wrath troubled the soul of Jesus, would you not think that our soul would then be troubled by our sin? And if our soul is not troubled by our own sin, I think there's something to say that perhaps we don't really truly know the gospel. We don't truly really understand that God's wrath had been poured out on his son. Our sin ought not to be something that we cherish when it troubled the soul of Jesus. Do you understand? But this is what we do. And we are weak and we are needy. And we are still in this flesh and we struggle with it. But we ought to know that Jesus' death, as John Calvin put it, was not a sport and amusement to Jesus. But Jesus endured the severest torments on our account. All Jesus needed to do, all Jesus needed to do at that moment was to say to the myriads and myriads and myriads of angels at his disposal, do you understand? Like Joshua, when he looked at the mountains and he saw saw all the angels there ready, the commander of the Lord to come, all Jesus needed to do was say, Come and bring judgment. That's all he needed to do. 
All Jesus needed to do was say the word, and he would have been saved from that death. But you know what would have happened to us? We would have been condemned forever. If Jesus had just spoke the word and said, deliver me, take me out of this, Father, I'm done, the Father would have listened like that. The angels would have come down, they would have taken Christ, he would have went back up to heaven, and every single one of us would have been dead in our sin for eternity without hope. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Jesus feels troubled, and he actually thinks about this trouble, and he says to himself, he contemplates to himself, what shall I say? And what he says, he says a prayer to the Lord. He does. He says, what shall I say? He says, Father, save me from this hour. Like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he's sweating sweat drops of blood. He says, what shall I say? And he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. This is his prayer. Father, let this cup pass from me. But in both instances, in the Garden of Gethsemane and here, as soon as Jesus even thinks that thought and feels that and wants to pray that prayer and prays that prayer, right away Jesus says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Immediately his feelings, his fears, his anxieties are brought up and they are sanctified before God because he knows that the reason that he came was he came out of love for sinners and love for you and me that he might give his life as a ransom. Not what I will, but what you will, Father. He says, Father, save me for the, from this hour, yet but for this purpose I have come. I have come to do your will, O God. I have come to this hour. Can you feel his anxiety? It is not an easy road for him. He is appointed to be a sacrifice for sins, and so he puts that sorrow and burden, and he puts it in its right place, and he pulls himself back, and he submits to the Father. He would rather suffer anything than not to fulfill what his father has called him to do. And so the glorification of the father's name is what Jesus is on Jesus' mind. And so this is one of three accounts where this takes place, where God speaks about Jesus, and Jesus cries out. Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, and he said, I have glorified it. How did he glorify it? Through all the miracles. And he says, and I will glorify it again. You notice? He said, Father, glorify your name. And the Father says, I have. How did he do it? Through Jesus. They're one. It's one God in three persons. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God the Father responds, and he says he will glorify it again, referring to after he dies and rises again. And so the crowd stands there. The crowd hears it. Some said it thundered. Others said they heard the voice of the angel. So they can't make sense of what is being said. 
But the very fact that this voice came from heaven should have told them this is something really special happening here. But of course, they missed it. They didn't have eyes to see. And for some, for God's chosen sheep, what happened here, Jesus says, this would become a great benefit to you. As Jesus goes on to say, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. And so this voice from heaven came for their benefit. And the way it would benefit them is after Jesus is crucified and he appears again to some of them who were no doubt undoubtedly there, especially to his disciples, he would tell them what the voice uttered and they would remember this divine confirmation that the, what is a shameful cross, grace and mercy flowed from it. It was not a defeat at the cross. It was a victory as, as that voice from heaven uttered, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And so after Jesus is risen, Jesus tells them that and the Holy Spirit applies that truth and encourages them. So in that sense, it was a, a benefit to them. And I want that to be a benefit to you and I this morning. Whenever we're troubled in our souls, whether it's fear or you're struck with grief, beloved, remember, remember, no matter what you're going through, remember that suffering always precedes glory. Suffering always is going to precede glory. Jesus suffered, and then he was glorified. And so in our life, we are going to suffer. You, if you're young, you may think, well, I'm not suffering now, and everything seems great. I can color pictures in the front row, read children's books. I can sit in the, in the back row, and I have my whole future in front of me. But you have to understand, and this is coming from an old man, my middle age, okay, <laughs> middle-aged man. Don't rush it, yeah. But I've lived enough to know you will suffer. You will suffer loss. You will suffer sickness. You will suffer anxiety. You will suffer something. Don't be shocked. Suffering precedes glory. And if you are in Christ, you can endure that suffering. Just look at those around you, beloved. Talk to one another and realize what we've all been through in life. And some have been through some terrible things even recently. And yet Christ is sustaining them. And he is upholding them. And he is strengthening us as believers to carry through into glory. He has not left us. He does not leave you in your suffering. He is with you in your suffering because he is bringing you and I to glory to be with him. He suffered that we might be with him. And so, for those who come to him, you need not fear suffering or judgment because glory awaits. But Jesus goes on to explain because he knows 
that not everyone who hears what he is saying or hears the gospel will believe. And so Jesus says in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now what's Jesus saying there? In one sense, there is a coming judgment, a last judgment, if you will, but in this sense, Jesus is saying, now in this final hour as I go to the cross, the final verdict on humanity is complete. A sorting, if you will. A sorting between two groups of people in the world. Only two. Those, this is the judgment. This is, this is what God is saying is now clear. There are the sheep, that Jesus spoke about, right, in John 10. And there are the goats. You might put it like this. There are the saved, and there are the unsaved. There are those under the tyranny of Satan and those under the liberty of Christ. There are those who are believers, and there are those who are unbelievers. This is the judgment that Jesus brings when he goes to the cross. The world and humanity is divided. There is no other way to become a child of God. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to get into heaven and God's glory. There is only one name given under heaven by which men must be saved, and that name is Jesus, and the judgment is you believe and trust in Jesus, God incarnate, the Messiah, the Son of God, who died in the place for sinners, or you don't. And if you don't believe in the name of Jesus, then you will take God's wrath and you will endure it for eternity. But if you place your faith in him, you are forever delivered. And you are made right before God. This is the gospel. And Jesus says, now in this final hour, when my body is lifted up to die on the cross, and I'm crucified, and I endure God's wrath, I am enduring it once for all for all those who will believe in me. But he does not endure it for those who don't. This is the judgment. The ruler of this world and all that belong to him, Satan, are cast out. There is no more ruler of this world who has a say in anyone's life but the life of those who belong to him. But all his tyranny is ended because Christ has come. So those are the positive and the negative side of this verdict. Positive those for whom Jesus will be lifted up from the earth to die. He will draw people from all tribes, tongues, and nations. He will draw all people to himself, Greeks and Jews, right? This is not saying he's going to save everyone. This is not a universalism. He is saying, Jesus is saying, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, when I am crucified, and when I am finally glorified, it means both those things. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He's not saying everyone's going to be saved. We already know that. There is a judgment coming. 
we know in the context that John has been talking about the arrival of the Greeks with the Jews. So he's talking about all kinds of people, all types of men from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Jesus says, when I die and I'm lifted up, I will draw people from everywhere to myself. It's hot in here, isn't it? I think those things need to be fixed. (laughs) Something, because, man, it's hot. It's hot. But it doesn't doesn't quite match the first time I ever preached at this church. We're going to end because I can see the fans going. We're going to end, but I'll tell you, these fans used to not be in here, and I think they just weren't clicked to be put on cool. That's why they're actually blowing out hot air right now. So anyway, when I first came here, we didn't even have air conditioning, and it was like 103 degrees. And I was candidating at the, the church here, and I had a suit. I was wearing a suit. Do you remember this? Maybe you don't. I do. A suit and a tie. It's 103 degrees outside. No air conditioning. And I was like, you ever watch the Apostle, the movie? The, anyway, he, this typical Southern Baptist preacher, right? He's got his stab in his head, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's sweating all over the place. And I just thought, I thought oh, Lord, help me. I, and so, anyway, I, I finished preaching the gospel, and I was thankful for that, but the Lord actually brought me back here. You would have thought I would have went running, but the Lord knew this is where I needed to be, and so, anyway, um, the Lord Jesus is good. He is troubled for us and for our sin, and, and the, the word I leave you with this morning is don't take that for granted. Don't take his sacrifice for granted. Don't take the price he paid for granted. Don't think lightly of what Jesus did. He paid an eternal price for your soul. And then he calls us to live for him. He calls us to lay aside our sin. Don't cherish your sin. Don't love your sin. Don't hold on to it. When Christ paid such a high price for you and me, Let us take our sin seriously, confess it, turn from it, let it go, and honor him. Don't be like these who were unbelieving, who still rejected him. Jesus came to save sinners, and I'm among the chief of sinners, like Apostle Paul would say, and you would say that of yourself. But praise God, he's a a mightier Savior than I am a sinner. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for going through the trouble that you went through. Help us to remember what what it cost you to pay for our sin. Don't let us be a people that take our sin lightly. Protect us from being a people that look just like the world that surrounds us. Protect us, O God, from taking your name upon ourselves and then living under the tyranny of Satan. Protect us from claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ while we cherish our sin. Protect us, O God, from taking 
liberties where you have shown us grace. Protect us from falling into the snares of the devil that so easily entangle us. Protect us, O God, from living the lives that we lived before we came to know you, Lord Jesus. O God, don't let us fall back into the sins of the past. Don't let us fall back into the fears that we held on to in the past and the anxiousness of our hearts and the selfishness of our souls. Don't let us be like we once were, but help us to put on the new man, which was born after the likeness of Christ. Help us to put off the old man and to put on the new, that we might live as lights in this dark world, that we might be sons and daughters of light. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for being lifted up that we might one day be lifted up to be with you in glory. Thank you for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you for being the King of kings and the Lord of lords who reigns in heaven above. Thank you for being the Savior offered for all mankind for whoever would place their faith in you. We pray, O oh God, you would help us to love the Lord Jesus this week. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.